I would love to be a part of the doo dog gang and welcome like thriller <laughs> to the down in front podcast the official podcast of down in front podcast.com my name is warren what we do here in the down in front podcast besides talk about poop jokes are we review movies tv shows a bunch of different media all while having ourselves a bunch of different drinks and try to make sure that we can last for the entire episode uh so with me i'm with a bunch of my good good friends and mocha and tonight we're going to be reviewing bad times in the el royale one of the newest films uh directed by drew goddard uh, starring jeff bridges cynthia Orvio, dakota johnson and a bunch of other people that's what we'll actually talk about later on mainly john ham uh i'm going to toss it over here to brylin and brylin uh talk to me about uh what you've been sipping on and what else have you been watching before we talk about the movie Oh, good evening. I'm back. I'm bad and beardy uh, again. So what I'm sipping on right now is some more Woodford Reserve in my brand new tubby pint glass. Fill it up with anything you like because that's it's designed to take anything you want. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I am a bad spokesperson for tubby. Sorry about that, tubby. Um, but what I've been watching recently is Doctor Who season 11 finally started. I've watched the first two episodes. Uh, this is the first uh, time we've had a female doctor in the form of Jodie Whittaker, and I think she's doing a pretty solid job so far. Uh, the show remains a, um, a show you tune in for like the story and the characters, not much about the special effects. They're still using uh, matchsticks and uh, toilet toilet rolls too for most of their monster effects but it's still lighthearted fun with uh some good messages from time to time to take away uh i like it it's fun it's endearing and i think jody whitaker is doing a solid job she's kind of imitating david Tennant a bit but i hope she becomes her own doctor very soon man i've tried to watch um Doctor Who, I just couldn't get past like the first season, I think it was, but at least made it through an entire season. But I know there's so many different seasons, there's so many different feels. Like, what sort of what season is it up to right now? Uh, so this is season 11 of the new run of Doctor Who. So, depending on which season one you watch, whether it was the one from 99 or the one from 1962, uh, will your I'm sure your taste will differ on that. It was the guy who I thought was the guy who played Freddy Krueger because his name is similar, but it's not. No, was it Chris? Was it Chris Eccleston? Yeah, there it is. All right, okay. Yeah. So it's the new run of Doctor. Yeah, Krueger. yeah. All right. What's the guy who names Freddy Krueger? What's his real name? Uh, that is. I was about to say Arlie Yarmy, but that's not him. No, um, no, it's um, England. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. So the entire cool. country of England. Yeah, yeah. Eng- England, please. So then it is Doctor Who. It all comes around. <laughs> nice. 
Well, uh, Bradley, Mouth of the South, it's great to see you. Uh, it's great to have you on. I'm excited to uh, hear your thoughts of this movie. I'm going to toss it over to my best friend. We grew up together. Uh, we're going to hang out, and we're attending a wedding together, so I'm super pumped about that. Uh, Abbott, how's it going, man? Uh, what you been sipping on, and what are you watching? Uh, I just want you to know I was going to wear my tux for the wedding to this podcast, but I spilled some uh, of this frosty on it, so I'm going to have to return it and get another pink tux. Uh, but yes, I'm currently sipping on the notorious scary black cherry slush from Burger King. Picked one of those up on the way home today, but I poured a a heaping helping of bourbon in it so I could be an adult with you guys. Um, and I'm feeling pretty pretty foxy right about now. Um, as for what I'm watching, I actually just got finished uh, watching the first episode of The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. And... I heard a lot of things about it going into it. Um, I didn't actually realize it was based off of a book from like 1950s, which is kind of interesting. Um, But it's a very different take um, comparatively. And I was surprised. It's actually pretty spooky. And I'm excited to see where it goes going forward. Uh, Lots of spooky atmosphere, um, great haunted house visuals and effects and things like that. So if you're looking for something spooky to watch, we might wind up doing a uh, a whole review of it for Fear Boners. But if you're looking for something for the Halloween season, definitely check it out. I mean, that one keeps bothering me on Netflix. Every time I go to Netflix, it's like right there telling me to watch it. I'm like, no, I, I just don't. I'm not a huge fan of horror. So they really no. want everybody to watch it. Yeah. yeah, I get scared easily. I get nightmares. So it's okay. Well, Abbott, it's great to see you. Uh, it's great to hear your voice again. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to my best friend that we grew up together and we know everything about each other. The beautiful, luscious, skin so tan and so smooth. Uh, he has the same name as my my father. Uh, Mike Blewett. What's going on, Mike the Shredder? What you been uh, oh. sipping on and what you drinking? And also, what you been watching? So, uh, what I've been sipping on is the remainder of this Dunkin' Donuts harpoon because I was too lazy to go out and get anything new. Uh, fun fact. Um, what I've been watching. Uh, first of all, I watched David Cross's stand-up from 2016. Uh, the Make America Funny Again, I believe it's called. Uh, and I love moments like this. Like, I DVR stuff all the time and then forget about it. Like a little squirrel with his acorns. And then I come back to it like a year later. And I start watching it. And you start seeing commercials for stuff that happened a year ago. And you kind of forgot, like, the the minutia of, like, what happened at that time. And that's kind of like this stand-up was. It wasn't super funny. But he referenced a bunch of stuff that was kind of old and, like, Wow, nothing's changed. It was pre-Donald Trump presidency, but there was still the same idiocy that was going on uh, then. Um, I've also been watching I Am a Killer. It's a Netflix original uh, documentary on uh, different folks. That, oh, yeah, I said that weird. We're, we're going to move past it. Uh, we'll fix it in post. Um it's about different people that are sitting on death row, uh, which was kind of an interesting uh, topic uh, to go through because uh, w- the the second episode, fun fact, the guy didn't even shoot anyone. Uh, but in say, I guess in Texas they have this insane rule that if you are an accomplice for someone, then you can also get charged with the same crime, which is insane to me. But it was it was yeah. it's kind of interesting to hear these people talk. So. Man. I mean, I'll be excited to have my mom on the show. I know I said it. Uh, she actually did work death row um, for maybe two years in Jacksonville, Florida. So just picture that. I think she has some good amount of stories from there. So it'd be a little scary. 
Hmm. Yeah, I'm not itching to do that. And no. any of it at, at all. You don't like my mother? You don't think my mother's a family friendly person? Uh no, your mother mother is way cooler than you are. In fact, she's probably the reason I keep on doing this podcast. Duh. Also, Dorothy Bantooth's a saint. I'll talk <laughs> I'll saint. talk to your mom. I do pretty good with moms. I'll see. I mean Ooh, she, No, I I mean that in the most respectful way possible, please. I know. She's a avid listener of the podcast until we start cussing and then she cuts it off. So <laughs> we haven't we haven't said a cuss word yet. So, so let's so see. we lose her about an average of a minute and a half in. Where <laughs> <laughs> she was like, Yeah, I cuss too much. It's okay. Uh I want to toss it over to the most handsome, uh, the most beautiful. This man is probably easily the most talented person that we have on this podcast. Uh, sitting there huffing and puffing, waiting for his turn. I'm going to toss it over to the Mocha Mike in the flesh. Mocha Mike, what's going on, man? What you been sipping on and what you been watching? Fucking what's up, everybody? How's it going? <laughs> All our listeners at home, it's Mocha Mike doing very well. Um, currently, I am sipping on a delicious India Pale Ale. In fact, it's a Sierra Nevada. And I grabbed this one because the word Nevada was on the right side. Uh, perfectly balanced. <laughs> um, much like in our movie today, I couldn't find anything with California in it, unfortunately. So, um, as for what I've been watching lately, I am on my way uh, to catching up on the Marvel Netflix shows, which I have been woefully behind on the past few months. So, I finally dipped my toes into Luke Cage season two. Um, I'm not going to go too much into the, my feelings on that because I'm only about two episodes in and you guys did an entire episode about it already. Uh, but needless to say, it took off to a, a pretty interesting start and I'm excited to see what seems like it's going to be a slow, slow burn and, uh, see where it takes the character. Um, but yeah, that's what I, what I've been up to, uh, lately. Yeah. I'm excited to actually talk to you about that. I'm hopefully that you can finish it soon. Cause I think when we did mention it and we reviewed it, we were, pretty positive about it i think we were kind of to the point where almost kind of even i think some of us was like siding closer to season one than season two abbott riling you guys remember we were like on the fence about it yeah i personally enjoyed it more than season one Mm -hmm. um i think some of y'all didn't like it as much as season one for some more tropey moments in it but i enjoyed like that it's actually more of a brighter story than the first season Mm, okay. I well, mean, there's some pretty, there's some pretty. There's still some gruesome yeah. shit. I mean, it's not all fun and games, but I like that they, the whole like commercialization of um, Luke Cage into a hero. That's yeah. that's where I think the divisive point is. I mean, where I am in the story right now, it is all fun and games. So, uh, way to spoil it. Now I know it's not all fun and games. <laughs> it's gonna be funnier and gamier and how, then mocha how how far in are you i think i'm on episode like eight or nine yeah so i'm only on episode two so uh, right. i just got introduced to uh black mariah's daughter yep wait wait till you get to episode 18 she just called mariah you know that right i mean the character is definitely called black mariah in the first season and in the comics Oh, okay. Wait, is she? Is her? She's also like gigantic in the comics. She's like a huge woman in the comics. (laughs) Enough about uh, Luke Cage. Uh, My name is Warren. I will be your host this evening. I am sipping on some Jameson and ginger ale, um, keeping it classy. 
got nothing fancy about that. I just thought it was good. Uh, and what I've been watching, I actually watched a bunch of stuff. Um, I would say I'm a super fan of Mad Men. I know we talked about it before. Me and Emma's currently doing our binge. So we were super pumped to talk about uh, the Romanoffs. And so we started watching the Romanoffs. Uh, I think there's two, maybe three episodes out for right now. But we know the first two episodes that came out are 80 minutes long. And so we watched the first one. Again, me going in blind, um, did not realize that it was anthology. Um, so I was like, what, what, what's, what's going on? I was super confused, but you know, I do enjoy it. You know, definitely not going to say any spoilers because it's basically every, uh, episode is a different story. Um, I still really like his writing a lot. I like the way that he, uh, writes some of his characters. Um, I'm curious. I'm going to wait and see like the rest of it before I give some of my takes. Cause I know at least watching the first one about 40, 45 minutes in, I was like, Oh, I don't know. I feel kind of iffy about this, but, um, as it ended, I definitely liked the first episode. So I'm curious to see, um, after the second one, we'll see what we got, but I know, um, Corey Stoles, right. Is that his name? Is in the second Corey episode? Stoll is yeah. in the second episode. Yeah. Okay. So I'm and, curious to uh, see him in something else. Aaron and, Eckhart's in this first episode, which is yep. cool. So that was great. Speaking French like a boss, I think that was great. Mocha, you should definitely oh, should dope. watch that part because uh, he spoke French. I thought he spoke French pretty well. So I don't know if it was actual French or yeah. not, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm glad Matthew Winner's doing stuff again. Uh, I miss his just his writing, and it just I saw the first episode as well, and I just continue to think that he's able to take mundane situations and just make them really interesting and just create some really memorable characters behind every facet of the story that's being told. So uh, I like that he's doing this. I like that it, it challenges him to do like a different genre every episode. So it's going to be really cool to see how this all pans out. Yeah, I'm pumped to speak. I'm, I'm pumped to get back to a show that's going to be once a week. I think the only shows I watch now that are once a week are anime. So it's going to be cool to not uh, have like see like actual real people. Uh, but the other movie I definitely want to talk about, and I'm going to talk about it briefly before we get into our um, non-spoiler section, is uh, Monsters and Men. Has anybody seen this movie? Has anybody heard about it? I think I've heard about it. It's a Pixar well, movie, seen. right? No. Is uh, this with Ian McKellen? No. And Brendan uh, Fraser? No. <laughs> no. I know you guys are trolling, so fuck you. Oh, there's my mom. She's, she's gone. Um, I would say it's it stars um, Denzel Washington's son, and it kind of sort of has, like, it tells a story about a bunch of vignettes and people and how this one event sort of, like, affects all this change and affects this choices that people make. And one guy who's uh, basically trying to get a job and finally gets a job and kind of sees this act actually happen. And there's a police officer that this act actually affects him. And then from there, there's this high school um, kid that's like a star baseball athlete and like some of the choices that he chooses to make. Um, but the movie was absolutely phenomenal. And the closest movie I can think of it that is not, it's close, but not exactly is Crash. Have you guys seen Crash? Which Crash? The Dave Matthews Band album song? Yes, exactly. Now, uh, yeah. the one that's starring, uh, I know Ludacris is in it. And, oh, okay, uh, that crash. Uh, I think it's from, what, 2004, 2005, I think? I'll take yeah. a look at it. Um, so it's, it's kind of like that because it like really ties a lot of different stories together from character to character. Um, but I don't know if the movie itself was supposed to have a plot, but I think it was definitely supposed to, like... Uh, ask you know what would you do in this scenario and like things that are happening in this world today 
like literally these things are happening right now uh really kind of puts it paint a picture a bit of like what's going on with police brutality and uh what choices that people have in this world so i thought it was interesting um but the other thing i do want to uh mention before is i guys i actually saw a trailer I know. Uh, Lies. Uh, he didn't. I know. He like know. someone being towed behind a car or like <laughs> burn no. him. Burn I him. saw I was sitting there and I was eating my mozzarella sticks and there was something about this trailer that captivated me. Now I love indie films and I really, really like them a lot. Um, but I still like ignore a bunch of them. But um I saw that the trailer opened up and the woman looks very very different. There's I think she has some sort of condition or she's like born um with like a rare um sort of look. And the name of the movie is called Border. Have you guys heard about this? Uh, no. Okay. Um the name of the movie is called Border and basically the way that it's painted cuz I was actually like I still wasn't listening to the uh, the mute the the sound but it was subtitled so she it's a movie that doesn't speak English. Um but I start seeing that and basically she's become like an outcast and she's being kind of cast out. Um, and it's kind of, it's really sad. And then all of a sudden, uh, as they're going along, she sees a guy who has like the same sort of condition that she does. Uh, and then they start kind of having like a connection together and it, it basically kind of goes back and forth, kind of hops around. And I'm like, wow, A, it's probably been years since I watched the trailer, but B, this trailer definitely has hooked me, and all it said it was going to be out in 2018. So, um, and then the other thing I thought was kind of strange is MoviePass has a production company now. What? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Weird. So this, this again, these are reasons why I'm like, what, what, what am I watching right now? So apparently, MoviePass made Monsters and Men, the movie, like that's like their thing, and they're also going to make in this. So they're making a bunch of like smaller indie films. Um. So I was How pretty is movie about past it. still alive. I yeah, don't know. Probably can't just see my it. face, but I'm making a bitter beer face. This is I, ridiculous. I don't. I mean, guys, Google Border right now. I know everybody thinks that I'm trolling them. I I know. I get it. Google Border, just regular Border. I think it's supposed to be coming out sometime in 2018. Um, that's something I'm actually super pumped to actually watch. Besides everything else, because I'm super. That's a kitty. That's not a Border. Uh, but I'm super pumped to actually watch this movie and definitely review it because I feel like. Um, that's going to be something pretty cool, and also the mu- the music in the actual uh, trailer was also quite phenomenal. So, lots of reasons why I ended up watching a trailer. Now, that's probably going to be the only one for the next three years, but you know, whatever, it's okay. I uh, I have an interesting experience with the trailer from seeing this movie, Bad Times. Um, I I try to avoid trailers in general. I don't go to the extremes that Warren does. If I see one, so be it. But I don't go out of my way to watch trailers. I enjoy just the experience. Um, however, while I was in the theater last night, I happened to catch the trailer for J.J. Abrams' new movie, Overlord. And there was an interesting situation where I had seen the original trailer. Um, back, I guess it was more of a teaser, which had the vibe of a very like dark, kind of scary movie. Um, that original teaser just... Had a pretty like grim feel to it. The one with ACDC. And this, and this trailer um, was gave a completely different feel. It felt like jokey and goofy and like fun and vibrant, and it completely threw me for a loop in terms of what my expectations are going to be for the movie. And I don't like that. I'm assuming because it's a a trailer closer to the release date that it's more accurately reflects the concept of the film. And it actually made me want to see the movie less, even though I was super stoked about it from a conceptual standpoint uh, before. 
was <laughs> nice ACDC that threw me off. Uh, I don't know. Is that who was playing? I tried to ignore it. the first trailer they dropped for it was ACDC. Maybe. I don't remember. Either way, what I'm trying to say is that uh, they felt like there was a tonal shift in the trailers. And uh, that was kind of surprising for me. I don't think I've experienced that before. So it went from Overlord to Underlord for you? Maybe he's trying to do the confusion. He might be. I mean, I am. So it worked. Maybe it's an illusion. Well, guys, I'm pumped. Uh, I'm excited to see some of the things that you guys have been watching. I'm excited to um, see some of the things you guys are drinking. Not you, Abbott. That looks disgusting. Uh, I but just I hope- realized there's way too much bourbon in this. Okay, so I'll see if I can call you on first. So we are going to take a, a bit of a break. Uh, we're going to get into our spoiler section. So if you haven't seen Bad Times at the El Royale, we would say it's pause it for right now. We're going to take our quick commercial break, uh, fill up our drinks, probably use the bathroom, and then we'll be back for a full spoiler section of Bad Times at the El Royale. With cheese. are back and we are the down in front podcast and we are in our spoiler section for bad times of the el royale directed by drew goddard uh, i am with mouth of the south brylin uh host of the field bonus podcast abbott uh the sexiest person alive mocha and the shredder who needs no introduction blew it we are getting ready to actually dissect this movie a little bit so we're going to break it up into a couple different sections we'll be talking about the acting and the characters and we'll start talking about the plot and like the story also with the movie style a little bit and then depending on we'll talk a little bit of uh our closing it off and send some shout outs before we give you our lasting thoughts so as always i'm going to send it to my favorite person ever mouth of the south brylin talk to me about uh, a bit of the characters in the acting of this movie yeah for this movie uh i thought the acting was solid it was nothing to write home about but it was uh pretty good i think uh the actors did what they could with what they were given which to me was not much at all uh but if i have a standout for this movie it'd have to be cynthia erivo i believe is her name as jolene sweet i found her character uh to be uh very earnest very honest about the portrayal of who she is that she is pretty much the person with the most to lose in this situation in a certain way that she is a singer and that she's just trying to get to a job where all this other crazy shit just happens along the way in this hotel. And I'm glad that, um, she essentially becomes the hero of this story. I thought it was a pretty cool turn to have her kind of be the one that comes out on top and everything. Um, other than that, I, I mean, you can't really deny Chris Hemsworth's charisma and his, uh, dedication to being a perfect human specimen. Um, and I, I think that he does a really good Californian accent and, um, he, uh, he's just like 
he's just a big bold character that's on the screen all the time uh i think it's a very empty character but he definitely brings as much charm but also at the same time ruthless ruthlessness to it as well i hated that accent i hated that accent so much it was it just sounded like like we were talking about for Venom. It sounds it was like, like SNL, a, the Californians. It, yes. Yeah, but it's just like, that's, <laughs> you could so tell that this is someone who doesn't natively speak American and they were trying to make America so hard. Like it but is, then it, sometimes he sounded like he was Canadian. Yeah, mission too. accomplished. It sounded very Californian, though. That's what I appreciate totally about it, that it wasn't Canadian just an American just like, accent. That he was just like, hey, let's go to the beach, bro. I mean, he definitely had those California twangs to his voice. Like, I didn't get that. A at lot of times, some people say I don't speak American, which is honest truth. But I think I speak great American. Um, and I think Chris Hemsworth. I mean, it was cool to see him not do a generic American accent. Yes, yeah. generican. No, <laughs> I'll say that it, yeah. to me, it sounded like an Australian, not like not trying to sound like an Australian. It sounded like he, he was trying not to make an Australian accent. And that's what came out. It didn't work for me at all. It was just like, Ugh, that's not what you sound like. Also, we're like three months away from bring me Thanos. And so like for me, that's kind of like where my headspace is and how he sounds, which I guess is unfair because it's an actor, not a human being. Uh, but you know. It's also crazy, with that in mind, it's crazy how, like, Chris Hemsworth, regardless of how you feel about him, is incredibly flexible in terms of what he does to his body for roles. Because he was jacked for Ragnarok and for uh, Infinity War, and he slimmed down significantly, like, he lost a lot of muscle weight while still remaining outrageously fit for this film. Um, his arms were And it's still just interesting big. to see him go like yeah. that. Oh yeah, well his 25. arms are always big. He has the biggest arms in the like in the game. Apparently, <laughs> they're, apparently they're deceptively massive. Apparently it was twenty five pounds. Uh, I will say this though: no one does weight loss, weight gain better than Christian Bale. Yeah, so that's what yeah. I was gonna say. Like if you've yeah. ever seen like his transition between the machinist and then like Batman begins, it's like holy shit. And then and then yeah, fighter a couple years, years later and now Vice. Well, I mean, the other thing, kind of talking about a couple of points that you mentioned, Brylin, I really love the fact that, you know, the one thing I knew was that they were playing this trailer all the time. And yeah. although I have no idea what the trailer, what the movie looked like, and I know that the trailer was playing because they sung that Isley Brothers song, that Darling Sweet sung in the movie. And I really, first of all, she was a damn good singer. Yeah. Uh, but I really love the fact that they were having that. And I was hoping that this movie would be a bit more musically inclined. So I liked that she was the most innocent person, arguably. Like, she was the innocent person. Um, in this, even Miles wasn't innocent. Um, so I liked that element. I liked how she was kind of injected in the story. I liked her between that and, you know, Jeff Bridges playing the father, Daniel Flynn, or, you know, I guess his name was Doc O'Kelly. I liked that sort of uh, back and forth they had. Um, I just thought that the Chris Hemsworth was really oddly casted. Uh, I like Chris Hemsworth as an actor. I'm just not sure why it had to be him. And. It felt like he was just playing like much you guys were talking about. I just felt like his skills of what he can do was a bit wasted. Um, and either a ch change that role to be somebody a little bit less iconic. Like we cl clearly he was in the biggest movie this year. And so I think it's kind of weird that you put such a big high profile actor in this movie that shows up over an hour into it. 
I think that's kind of weird. Um, I mean, it was- doesn't really give him a lot. To do. He does. He doesn't really have a lot to do besides, you know, mess with some people in that time frame, and then it it kind of ends. So I was kind of bummed about that. Yeah, and I feel You're that for not all wrong. the characters here, that not all of them. I mean, that's one of the big down points of this movie is the characters really don't have anything to do in this movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Warren, you're definitely not wrong about your uh, assessment of Chris Hemsworth and his um, his place in this movie. The truth of the matter is, though, is that he is the, not even just physically, but in terms of his value, the hottest actor in Hollywood right now. And he puts butts in seats. Like, even having him in the movie for ultimately two scenes and having those come late in the movie, like, despite that, just knowing that he was, that he's in the movie, it's going to get people interested in coming to see it. Um, I just think so, it's yeah. kind of. Sh- I just think it's kind of strange that, uh, and and I get what you're saying, but looking at like the 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 the, tra- the trailers and the posters and looking at all the images, and I remember we were like looking at images of uh, the movie. It literally is just him, <laughs> like he is this ma- he is the yeah. centerpiece of it, and I'm like, oh, cool, all right. I mean, that, that's fine. But then you know, as we then start watching the movie, he literally isn't even one of the main strangers. He isn't even well, a stranger. Well, sort of thing. I mean, like it's that's that's fine. They they've done that in the past with like the mm-hmm. mo- I mean the most famous example is Hannibal Lecter, you know where that's that movie is his movie, but he's in it for what twenty three minutes out of an hour and a half long, two hour long movie. Like yeah, that that's not unacceptable for me. I think they didn't know what to do really with the character. Like, do you have him play a completely deranged, unhinged maniac? Uh, do you have him play like a soft-spoken, like, well, a cult leader that you can kind of understand why people follow because he's like to the point, w- philosophical, or do you go the Ghostbusters route and have him play a character that's like hilarious and over the top? And there was, to me, there was little moments of all of it where he was the deranged psychopath shooting people at the roulette wheel. He was the soft-spoken philosopher when he was talking about, you know, how men should be organized and how like there's either those binary choices and let's choose the middle one. Um, And then he was also a little bit of a funny guy with his, like some of his mannerisms and kind of the pseudo Messiah look that he had going the whole time. Like that could have been played up and, been actually funny to me it just felt like three distinct things that they didn't know how to mix properly and didn't know how to truly give him a character because a person like that showing up would be freaking awesome imagine if you if if you didn't see that on the, the trailer and you just got chris hemsworth playing a defining character at the end of like a pretty insane movie you'd be losing your freaking mind they just didn't really have I mean, a clear way of what what he was it's the hulk effect from thor ragnarok Thor, I mean, Hulk was all over the trailers, the posters, everything. But his arrival in the movie came halfway through, and it would have been the most incredible surprise if they had just kept it under wraps. And I think it's similar in this movie. Like they use Chris because, like I said, he gets people to buy tickets. Um, but I think it would have been more interesting if we were first introduced to him without having any knowledge during that scene where he's doing the uh, like the Jesus walking along the beach uh, thing. That, but that's that the thing piece. too is like he's totally supposed he's totally supposed to be Charlie Manson and like the thing of it yeah. is is he's a, he's a cult leader you're, you're either you're either like a crazy good looking cult leader and people listen to you because you're a babe of a person or you're incredibly charismatic and it's not supposed to be both and that was where it lost me a bit is that I'm like okay we have like the hottest guy in Hollywood literally and figuratively and he's like in- 
it written to be extremely charismatic. So like, of course, all these people are going to do whatever he wants. But like, between like his weird accent and like the way that he was kind of like you're saying, blue, jumping all over the place between being all these different things, and then in the movie later on when we find out that he's kind of afraid of the dark and like afraid of like silence, like he's made uncomfortable by these very simple things, but he still kind of commands the room and commands the movie and sort of takes it over entirely halfway through. It sort of like it didn't kill it for me, but it was just like, why? Like all these other characters deserve more screen time. All these other characters deserve to kind of have their moment, too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's just probably because he got the biggest bill and the biggest check from this movie. Yeah, I would yeah. say one thing that was really cool is that like everybody seemed to be won over by his charisma and everything, especially uh, Rose or Boots, as he called her. Uh, but when he finally runs into uh, to Cynthia's character, uh, was her name Darlene? Darlene, yeah. Darlene can see right through him and just like calls him on his bullshit straight up. And I thought that was really cool. And I love that. And, you know, this is going to tie into, I'm going to toss it to blue it here, but I love the fact that she absolutely crushed this movie. Um, from all we got from her was one scene from that disgusting sort of like a music producer producer and her singing and how he's basically saying that she's not shit. She's her time's worth like, you know, a penny, like nothing. Uh, and everybody like outwardly kind of treating her all that she was trying to do. Again, you were talking about is innocent. is kind of move through, but nobody or none of these other characters kind of affected her. She was kind of doing her thing and had her own, um, uh, sort of, uh, agenda that what she wanted to do. I absolutely love it's something small and little. The first thing that we should start seeing that shit start to go down. She's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And she mm-hmm. tries to run away. And even seeing, you know, the dead John Hamm's body takes the plugs from his body to try to actually run away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I would have did the same thing. But nobody else in that scenario tried to run because they have to stay there for some reason. So I'm liking that they actually put that in there. They actually injected some, um, you know, common sense into her to say that, you know, this clearly this is a scenario that's not the best for me. I need to get out of here. So I like that. Blue, what else you got? Yeah, as far as the character goes, we touched a little bit on uh, Darlene um, and then Chris Hemsworth. Um, I think Jeff Bridges has pretty much perfected, like, the endearing creep, if you know what I mean. Like, he he says all the right words. There's just that under tension of, like, weird uh, to him. And, and it's it's so unnerving to watch, but it's so nice at the same time. Um and he's been doing it for a while, but it really showed here. Uh, one thing I'd like to say is about the characters. We never really got to see them all interact together once the plot started because they offed John Hamm so early. We never had that like 70%, 75% of the way through the movie reconvening moment. Like we kind of did when they were all, they were all kidnapped by uh, Jesus Chris Hemsworth, but like he, that was a different situation. There was not really like a time to talk and explore the characters fully, like fully truthfully. I I thought one, it would have made it stronger if they actually all got to a point later in the movie, once the plot actually started. Uh, but also I think they should have kept it. They all lived or they all died. Um, this Mm. film, you know, it's based on those character interactions and slowly finding out who and what they are. And we never really got to see the payoff there. And I think, 
you either expose them as all flawed individuals and then as a result condemn them all you know uh everyone's got their their sins the religion was a big part of it you know they even had that funny like oh i'm x y and z you wouldn't like me you know religious moment um and you you get them all together and you basically condemn them all to death or you you have them kind of relive the again getting religious about it having uh, you know repent for your sins overcome a situation and then everyone moves forward together it was kind of weird that they killed some of them and then for like not really any great reasons you know it seemed like the most some of the more repentant ones died there was no conclusion like darlene and bridges were the ones that made it out he was the hardened criminal she was a singer you know, and then we have the, I forget D- Dakota Johnson's character, but like she was kind of in the middle where she like Emily, uh, Emily. Yeah. 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 She, she, she like technically killed someone, but she was doing it because she was protecting her little sister. Like that's a flawed character, but that's not necessarily a bad person. Um, and then we have the detect, you know, the, uh, not detective, the uh, FBI agent, like it, the morals didn't line up with who lived and who died. And the, as a result, it was slightly weaker of like, why did these characters actually matter? Yeah, well, that's actually a good point because um, one of the things that I feel like with this movie is that in the format that it is, and given the uh, the story that they delivered, mm, the vast majority of the characters don't really matter. They're interesting to sort of follow for a bit, but for me, this film should have absolutely have been a Netflix series. This should have been like a 12-episode TV show. Anthology and uh, series. Yeah, it should have been something where we, every episode, got to see the backstory of each of these characters as the events of the night unfold. Similar, you can even break it up in similar ways because there was a lot of those like action-oriented overlaps where there were sudden like stops to go back a bit. But we needed more reasons to care about these characters. We needed reasons to be invested in them, and I was invested immediately in the beginning because of the uh, like the mystery of it all of who these characters were and how they were going to interact, uh, even how their room numbers would, would play into into uh, the, the, the thrill of things. And it never delivered. You know, most of the characters died too quickly for anything to be even built up around them or resolved. And it left a really, like, weird taste in my mouth, you know? Like, John Hamm's character, <laughs> you spend a couple minutes explaining to us how he's actually a secret CIA, uh, uh, agent for the CIA. He has communications with Edgar Hoover. He is here in this hotel to capture some sort of asset, which I'm assuming turns out to be the role of film that we see later on. But then he's just killed. Um, and then nothing ties back into it afterwards. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of characters suddenly being killed for the sake of creating like a thrilling plot, like plot diversion. But there's got to be some other payoff to these characters. And it happened with all of them, you know? Emily got gets killed at the end and we don't get any buildup for her. Really. We find out that she was beaten as a child and that she went to save her daughter or her sister from this cult leader, but there wasn't really much else to it to have any sort of emotional impact when she was killed. Uh, and that applies to almost every single character that dies in this, in this movie. And I think had it been a Netflix show, we would have had the chance to explore that and have meaningful payoff for those deaths. And I wonder if that's, this is actually something I wanted to bring up with you guys. Is that an actual, is this a, an issue that is more prevalent in our time today? Like, are we able to see more of an opportunity for movies to be longer form because of the ubiquitousness of Netflix? Or is this just an example where, yeah, regardless of what era this was in, it would have been better if we had more time for the story. I think it would be regardless of the era. I mean, 
the one of the issues that we're having with this movie is that we didn't have enough from these characters. And the one thing, the one biggest draw that we're going to ask is, hey, can we get some more story here? Can we get a little bit more character development? Can we get a bit more so that we care about what happens at the end? And doesn't matter what movie that it is, we're going to ask. I need a little bit more to actually give a shit. And if you're not doing that and you kill off what I thought would probably would have been, you know, much like we have said before, one of the more uh, uh, visually entertaining um, characters in that in that particular plot with John Tam's character being a, a secret agent and him going through all the bugs, like it was such a good visual scene and the character that he was playing. I thought it was great. He they spent so much time. I thought for sure that was like, oh, cool. He's going to be like an interesting thing to the plot. It's going to be also almost going to be some sort of foils, and that ends so quickly that it's like, okay, what else are we supposed to focus on? Yeah, it just kind of you know, like his. Wow. Uh, <laughs> really quick, a character yeah. like his can die and there still be repercussions to that death later on. Like yes. it have ripple effects, but and it did it. Just and they even him. said that the cops are going to be coming if you kill him and she kills him anyway. And then the cops never come. So uh, Mo- who cares? Mocha. Yeah. Mocha one, to your, uh, oh. uh, I was going to say one, one quick, one quick quote point. I think that we're living in a time that, we're kind of spoiled by this where Netflix is a thing now. Um, and also we weren't watching movies in the sixties. So it goes back to like the Salieri effect where everyone knows Mozart. Uh, Salieri was just as big of a composer back in those days, but Mozart wrote like some of the definitive music from the classicism. And so 300 years later, all we remember is Mozart. Uh, where we're looking at the same thing of like movies in the 60s. They were long, big, epic films, 50s, 40s, or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, But all the films that are like second rate and like okay, that could have maybe used something like Netflix to fully flesh out, they just get forgotten. And we don't watch them. Our parents forgot about them, and they never told us to sit down and watch those films when we were kids. And so we never get to see these movies that like, if given a better medium, would have been something truly special unless they remake it on Netflix, on Hulu, on it, you know, like unless they get redone, which happens all the freaking time. But um, so I think it's an it's a twofold point where like we are also just spoiled because people are now instead of making a movie or instead of going to like a serialized, you know, uh, sitcom type thing where there's going to be you know, other seasons and you have to account for commercials and time limits that, you know, a, a good storyteller can say, Hey, I'm going to tell a eight hour long story in eight episodes. And you know, it is what it is. And then we're done. We're never see this again. Yeah. Mocha to your question, I would argue that you could have made this movie shorter and it would have been a more interesting movie and still had time for more character development. And I'll get into this later in the next section, but the pace of this movie is slow. Yeah, man. That's the thing is it's like two and a half hours long. I had to pee for the entire movie. So in my head it was rushing, but then I realized it's like two and a half hours long. Yeah. But Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's for me balancing the characters, I think, Besides Nick Offerman, the character with the shortest uh, development arc was John Hamm. Like literally, he so much happens to him in that short amount of time. I know a lot of you guys are saying that he just gets kind of 
tossed out. But like, if you think about it, he comes in, we're introduced to him. He's basically the racist vacuum salesman and we all sort of hate him going into it. And, you know, he's treating, he's treating the singer character like shit and kind of dismissing her and making fun of her, insinuating that she's a prostitute and all that terrible stuff up front. But then he goes in, he insists that he wants the, like the, the honeymoon suite. We meet him. He has this in, suddenly an endearing conversation with his son or daughter on the phone about praying, which is kind of funny, but he drops the accent and then you're on to something. You're like, wait, who is this guy? Then you realize he's an agent of some sort when he's debugging the room. And then he has this righteous conversation with J. Edgar Hoover about like saving the day and doing some secret op. Meanwhile, he wants to save this girl, but he's in this like moral quandary of whether he can save the day. And he's told to not do anything about it, but he still tries to save the day and then he's just killed. And it just happens so quickly. He's such a great character, but he is just kind of tossed out. And I was convinced he was going to come back in some sort of way, but it didn't happen. And that's a shame. But then, you know, we have the, the cult sisters and they're kind of a conundrum because they're in the middle of everything, but they have the least development. Like, sure, they have the flashbacks of their abusive father, and I thought they were going to get into a point where it was like they killed the father, and that was why they were on the run. I thought that was what it was leading up to, but we don't even get that. It just kind of stops. Like, the flashbacks stop. We don't get any sort of, like, they kill him, they run away. We don't even know what happens there. They just wind up at the cult, and then there's a bunch of, like, cult background where we can just see more of Thor doing his thing, because I think he just takes over the movie at some point. But honestly, for me, like, Jeff Bridges, like I said before, steals the show like his his um, I mean, if you saw the trailer, like the trailer made it very apparent because it 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 basically framed the scene where he says, I'm not a priest and it sort of ruined it. I almost wish I didn't see the trailer because oh wow. that 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 switch when she hits him in the head with the bottle, like it still kind of got me because they were having this development. And then when he spiked her drink, I almost was like. But why? Why would you spike your drink? Like, what are your intentions? I couldn't tell his intentions going into the movie, even though I already knew that he was not a priest. But every time he went into the whole, it was almost the same switch with John Hamm's character, where he made you hate him, and then you kind of loved him, or you were at least a little bit more intrigued, where you're like, oh, you're here for a good reason, you're not here for to be an asshole. Jeff Bridges' character delves into these moments where he doesn't remember things, and he, he admits he... he breaks down his walls and he admits um, that he has this senile dementia, this issue. And his character, I feel is almost the most developed. If you think about it, because there's so many flashbacks, either like the bank robbery scene or the doctor scene, or, you know, even the, the hiding the cash scene is involved with his character. So like he gets the most development throughout the entire movie, but the scenes where he does have those like lucid moments or the, the, the lost moments where he's kind of very fuzzy, like for me hit home very hard. Cause my dad suffered with senile dementia toward the end there. And for me, like his mannerisms were just so spot on that I was just really feeling it. So he stole the movie for me over Thor, like Thor and his greasy nipples, whatever he can dance all he wants. But, uh, Jeff Bridges, amazing. Um, and I keep forgetting uh, the, the woman who played the singer, um, her character being sort of like his foil or his like his cohort in the movie as well. Like, I'm glad that they paired them together because the conversations they had, the dynamic they had on screen was like perfect. And I think her arc as well was really great. Like, I'm glad that they did the whole like, this is, you know, what she wants. This is where she's going to keep kind of bringing back in the the 
the idea of like Reno, where Reno, some people might aspire to wind up in Reno, but the one guy tries to make that seem like that's the end. That's like where you sort of go to die as a singer. But like, that's sort of what she did. And she's still kind of happy, but she's doing her thing. But she's an accomplished singer while she's doing it. Like, she sounds great. And like, she is used to almost break the tension throughout the entire movie. That was for me was like. I would get really ratcheted up because when John Hamm's character gets blown away with the, the gun, like that's so just like, like in your face, like I've never been shot with a shotgun, but that just seemed really dramatic to me. But then all of a sudden it's sort of trans, like it, it's balanced with the fact that then you can bounce back and look at the room and she's practicing, practicing her singing. And it's just, it, it's weird, but it worked for me to kind of carry me through the film, like her singing in general. So I think each person obviously brings something different to the movie. Um, but yeah, a lot of the, like, I think it was fairly obvious who was the writer's favorite. Yeah. Jeff Bridges was definitely probably my second favorite character in this movie. And yeah, I would definitely second that the, uh, sisters were underdeveloped. Like I think Nick Offerman's character in that first five minutes of the movie shows you more about his character than we ever learned about Emily, especially (laughs) that Mm. just through his actions of like hiding behind the window, closing the curtains, doing that clever thing of just like seeing them go through, move the furniture to one side, roll up the carpet, take out the boards and everything. That whole action speaks volumes of his character more than anything that Emily does in this movie. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because as we talk about John Hamm's character and these characters in general, it becomes apparent to me that <clears throat> there was a bit of a bait and switch uh, with John Hamm's character because he was the first one to die. So we get all of this buildup. We get all this interesting detail about him. Uh, he's the one who gets to explore the corridors with the two-way mirrors, which was a, a super creepy scene. Like That entire beginning of the movie was actually really well executed, I thought. Um, and then when he gets shot, it's a complete surprise because you have no reason to think that she's actually going to shoot him at that moment. And, and that sort of sets off the trigger that everything like things are really bad at the El Royale and things are not going to end well for people. And I'm, I can accept that if at that point where John Hamm dies, the main characters become the sisters and we get the movie focused on them entirely. Um, and I feel like there was enough there if, to focus on them. Like if we focus on the sisters, that means we get to focus on, uh, on Billy Lee. And if we get to focus on Billy Lee and flashbacks and conversations about him, then it makes it really matter when the sister, then the younger sister gets on the phone and calls him over because we have more reason to be either excited or scared by the notion of Billy Lee showing up. But they didn't do that. They ended John Hamm's character and then tried to continue to spread things out evenly among everybody. Uh, and so we got a lot. We didn't get enough of enough meaningful focus on any character from that point on, I thought. Except for maybe Jeff Bridges, who, uh, for the exception of Jeff Bridges' character, because he got pretty well fleshed out. Well, that's yeah. the thing what's interesting about it, too, is that the movie, with considering that it's sort of broken, there's chapter breaks. All the chapter breaks are either, like, the room that they're staying in, and then there's Billy Lee. Like, he's defined by who he is. Everybody else is defined by the room they stayed in. So it's like they really want to sell Hemsworth being in this film. An interesting thing about him, too, is that we never see Billy Lee confined by walls. Every other character is going through some intense experience within four walls at every time, except for when uh, John Hamm is outside in the ra- in the rain. But even then, he's in a phone booth or um, the, fem- the woman character, uh, Darlene, she's in a car. Whereas with Billy Lee, when we see him, he is 
walking with his arms spread out on a beach with nothing but the sea and the sky around him. He is walking through a field with mountains far off in the distance. He is in the woods with one wall behind him, but the night sky above him. And I thought that was just interesting from a directorial standpoint to show, give this impression of freedom for that character that the others uh, didn't. But again, like I still think it fell short. That was a good call out. Uh, let's talk a bit, a bit more. Let's move on to um, actor and, uh, and characters. I know we're going to definitely be talking about that more. I'm curious to hear more about like the story and plot and the overall the movie style. I know we already started talking about it. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to Brylin, so just talk to me. Yeah, so I'm going to start by prefacing it with this. So this movie is written directed by Drew Goddard. Uh, last movie he wrote and direct was Cabin in the Woods, which was a fantastic genre film that kind of played around with the genre a bit, doing a little tongue and cheekery to the Cabin in the Woods horror uh, uh, movie uh, trope. And I wasn't expecting the same thing with this movie, but when I saw the trailer to this movie, I was expecting it to be kind of a more mind trippy drew goddard film where like yet like this whole idea of the management behind the hotel asking for this these videos and everything that it would turn out to be something unique or not necessarily otherworldly but something interesting that we could uh definitely dive into a little bit more and it never does it's just like oh management asked for these videos and they live it at that and there's nothing more to it it's just a setup that there's one video that miles kept out of uh whatever reasons he had um i think because he he said he liked the guy he respected the guy too much in the video that he did not want to give it to management but i feel like that the entire movie just sells itself so short because it's everything we think is going to be something substantial or interesting turns out not to be that substantial at all. The El Royale itself set up to be this very eclectic hotel with this split line of Nevada and California through it. What is play with that a little bit? Like how's, how's the Nevada side different from the California side and, um, what can happen on the Nevada side versus the California side? Give us something that'd be really interesting to explore with that. Um, but um, it's uh, I feel that everything is very light and superficial with the storytelling here that it never really leads to anything interesting, which I think is the biggest disappointment I have with this movie. And more that I think about this movie and how it, how it drives its plot it it's definitely um it's definitely uh it's definitely a disappointment to me it makes me angry that this was a bad movie that drew goddard put out usually puts out very exceptional work um like in the end of this movie what is the entire point of it except for um the bag of cash that father flynn and Darlene, or that Father Flynn's going out for. Who, who, what is the motivations for everybody else? Not much. Um, and that um, I would say the other thing I want to point out is that um, it did feel like uh, kind of like a cheap version of the Hateful Eight, even though I don't like the Hateful Eight that much. That literally it is a bad time at the Hell Royale. That it's just bad a bunch of people decide to stay at this hotel and then one bad choice leads to another leads to another. And then that's it. And it's just about one night that ends up really shitty. I was 
Uh, not expecting like uh, Chris Hemsworth to be like uh, the devil incarnate or anything, but give us something interesting about Billy Lee and what he stands for and everything instead of that cheap Manson knockoff. Um, John Hamm's character, uh, he's definitely started being the most talkative and everything, but uh, make him more interesting or have like kind of like cameos by the uh, uh, some of the company workers that work with the company that runs cabin in the woods i think that would have been neat if management turned out to be like part of that same company that ran the cabin in the woods that would have been an interesting like kind of plot premise and set up kind of like uh this neat little world that he could have built off of uh but everything feels so empty and so um just unnecessary to be here to watch the story unfold and every single moment is just super slow they take forever to move from one point to another where uh you just have these long drawn out moments of where they're just focusing the camera on people and it's like instead of them being in the rain for five seconds they're in the rain for 20 seconds or emily's death we're staring at her with a bullet hole in her chest for like almost a minute or so and that's that's fine i get it i mean we can move on to the next scene uh it definitely doesn't need to be as long as it is either yeah i mean the one thing i do want to kind of uh toss it in there is i i actually did enjoy you know bad uh hateful eight uh but that was the biggest thing i just kept seeing is that those title cards that we were talking about right when it kind of popped up there the first thing that i can think of was um Tim Roth, and he was the hotel, like the bellhop. What's the name of that movie? Oh, rooms. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I was like, man, I'm getting like a sense of this. What I thought was kind of interesting, and I was like, all right, well, I'm getting a sense of like kind of a four. Like it was hotel, and you get you see like different things happening in different rooms, and I was like, all right, well, maybe I'm getting kind of a sense of that, and then you just see the the strangers all in one area, and then then it kind of shifted to kind of hatefully a little bit of you you slowly finding out the past of all these people. Um, and that was just something I was like, okay, did he deliberately mean to do that or not? But even in then, if they're talking about room number one, room number four, you know, room number five and why none of the other rooms were cleaned, was there something secret about that? Or literally they just weren't clean because, you know, Miles is Miles the only person running the place. Yeah. But Miles should have doing, doing like hair on. Yeah. He's doing hair on. Doing <laughs> he hair wasn't a very back, convincing like, drug, oh. drug addict. No. Um. Uh, <laughs> But you know, I I thought it was I, w- I thought it was going to be more, and it, it just kind of like fell flat. Yeah, I would yeah. say though the thing I probably love the most about this movie is its style. Uh, I love the '60s style of the El Royale. I love the '60s song choice every time. The jukebox just chose another um, record. I think that's what they're called LPs. <laughs> uh, long play uh, and that might uh, be a single. Uh, singing frisbees is what I call them. <laughs> <laughs> um, every time, like the jukebox would choose another song from the '60s and put it on, I I knew that it was going to be something either enjoyable in the tone of the movie, just because we got a really cool song playing in the background. Yeah, the music was spot on. Um, I was another thing that kind of disappointed me in the sense that this felt like something that was like a really clear win that they could have easily done they set themselves up for but they didn't follow through with it uh was running deeper with the duality elements involved 
Like we get that set up immediately right off the bat with the El Royale. We have a hotel that is split down the middle directly. It is uh, symmetrical. And we're told, oh, there's the California side, which costs a dollar more. And the Nevada side, you can drink on this side. So they're sort of leaning into the ideas, into that I, that idea. And we see it in the characters. It's not noticeably, noticeably pronounced. But every character in this film has two sides that we're exposed to, right? Uh, John Hamm appears to be um, this like cocky, arrogant, douchebag vacuum salesman. But in reality, he's a very morally righteous, hardworking secret agent for the United States. Uh, Emily appears to be uh, this complete and utter douchebag slash uh, abusive kidnapper. But we find out that she's actually a hero who's trying to rescue her her kid sister from a dangerous situation. Uh, Billy Lee appears in the beginning to be this really sensitive, caring, friendly guy who turns into a monster at the end who just wants to kill people and torture them before their deaths. Like every character has two sides to them, but it wasn't really like driven home for any of them. And it didn't play out in any major ways. And I feel like that was a huge missed opportunity that they set up and then just completely whiffed on as the movie went on. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think, like, I enjoyed the movie. I don't think it was, like, bad, bad, but um, definitely uh, caught some tarantino e vibes um, along the way, but not overly. More so, just to, to Brylan's point, I feel like this was more um, Drew Goddard sort of trying to define himself as a filmmaker after making Cabin in the Woods, for example. I feel like there were definitely some things that I noticed where um, he was trying to, to, to thread in some themes. Like, for example, I noticed the, obviously the two-way mirror is quite prominent in both films, uh, Cabin in the Woods and this movie. Um, this movie had a lot more of them. Um, also, the, the, the weird theme of wolf erotica popped up as well. Um, <laughs> but to that point, that, that stands out, but there's several threads that are pulled in this movie that are never, like brought around again like that is a great example there's a part where miles tells the story about a dude who got naked with a wolf and he saw him and he thought they were gonna have sex they didn't have sex oh, they just yeah. laid and held each other in the bed and it's just weird and then you're just sitting oh, in the no, theater being sex. like why would you bring that up like why is this guy gonna show up later but i thought that was Miles. i thought miles was telling the story of himself oh no. i didn't get that, that was it was someone he watched it was someone he watched yeah, I, yeah. I, I know. Yeah, for the record, I mean, that, that's what he told everybody that he watched. But I thought he was telling a story about himself, about how he's asking sinned. for a friend. He, he was like, <laughs> I, "I have sinned," right? And he keep he kept talking about like, "I've sinned. I want to talk to you. I want to confess." And I thought he was talking about that. And I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting." But no, it ended up that way. But there's I so mean, many for the things record, like that. That dude raped that wolf. <laughs> like that happened. <laughs> Hungry like the wolf. They wrote a song about it. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> He, did, he said he just laid there with it. He, he just laid there with, with it, and he what did he kept saying? He kept it, it asking like, "Why?" Oh, he was yeah. saying like, "I'm sorry" or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you say to yeah, Walt while he was while he was banging it. <laughs> he laid it. with it. Oh but, yeah, he laid with it in a biblical sense. Yeah, and he got stoned too. But like, uh, for example, like there were so many moments where where things could have happened. Like Brylan, you were saying you thought that. Um, uh, what was the point you made? You thought at one point, um, oh yeah, like the the owners of the 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 cabin in the woods company were going to wind up being like the management. That would have been awesome. I sort of had that vibe as well. I thought it was going to get tied in somehow, or like especially the part where the power goes out completely and things get spooky for a hot second. I was like, oh shit! Like yeah, the ghost I thought it was of John Ham or the ghost of um, what's his face are going to show up and like save the day. I thought it was suddenly going to turn into like a 
full supernatural horror movie for a second because it just got like hooky spooky for a second. I was like, okay, well, and then it didn't. It's just to prove that like Billy Lee is kind of afraid of the dark. Yeah, I thought you want- this movie was going to get super freaky, and it def- never did. Yeah. yeah. You, you want to know my uh, my fan theory on that one? So going into that last scene, um, Darlene's character arguably had the most like straight-ahead path. She was just a poor singer working as a background uh, singer for like other folks. And like she was on her way to Reno. That was it. You know, that was literally the, the backstory. I love Clue, like the, the <laughs> game as well as the movie. That movie is yes. a freaking treasure. Yes. Um, yes, bro. And so here you have this Professor Plum like type person that's like, you know, not quite. No, there's nothing really to him. Um, and at the end turns out to be the, the, you know, the secret agent, the, the police, the mole. Um, and so I thought that Darlene's character was going to be the other party. So they, they made reference where the, the FBI was like, all right, well, there's another party involved. Uh, they didn't quite spell out who had the kidnapped victim in it, in that letter. And so their message was do not interfere where I could have thought that the FBI was, thinking it was Darlene's character was interrogating someone, you know, and was like, oh, we have another government agent there. Like, let's not mess with them. Um, and then uh, in the the scene when all the lights went off, that to me was an analog to in Clue when literally the lights go off and then all the agents swarm in at the end and, you know, <laughs> and arrest everyone. And so like for, for me, I kept on waiting for not a spooky moment, but I thought like, well, here comes the government, you know, and Darlene's going to be this like super undercover agent because we literally knew nothing remarkable about her. She was just some average jackass chick that could sing really well. Um, and that was and, and and honestly, when you when you like compare it to something like Clue, which I freaking love that movie, cannot recommend it enough. Um, it kind of felt short because we never had that. We never had that final twist. Mm. With I a got twist. more. To, I got more to say about this the the plot on this. I just want to make sure I'm not going to tyrant off on someone else. Go ahead, you go. You go. You got a spotlight. Boom. Let's do it. Yeah, we're um, so, uh, first of all, I thought this was a great microcosm of the late 60s, early 70s. You had the hippie counterculture. You had uh, somewhat of the Red Scare. Like, you could have done the spy versus spy uh, as, like, you know, communist Russia versus the Americans. Um, you had the Vietnam War. You had PTSD from that. You had uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of our GIs came back and were horrible heroin addicts because that's all they had to do over there. Um, what else do we have in there? Uh, if, if you want, you could have, like, Civil black rights. folks. Yeah, I was going to say black folks being a little bit more free to travel um, and treated a little bit more towards as equals. Um but it was it was interesting because it was almost like a, a temporal study rather than a, like a true character study. Like it was presented as a character study, but realistically was a temporal study of that era. Uh, you know, having Nixon uh, and the Charles Manson part of it, like really just drove home where we were at. Um, and I thought that was actually really cool. Um, speaking of not so cool, I think we've touched on this before, but like, Dude, give me something about the hotel. They made such yeah. 
And, and so I'll say this. They were clearly thinking about color. They did a, a great shot earlier in the movie where Darlene was singing in a purple dress. And then they, they switched it and she's back in her hotel room. And the wallpaper was purple. And she was in like a drab dress. And it was, it was almost like a, like a situation switch where they kept the color scheme the same just in a different context, which shows the character out of their normal comfort. You know, like there's all that fun stuff in there. So they were clearly cognizant over what color has to do with it. And I think they set up a great establishing shot where on the Nevada side, you have this gray, like steel blue uh, color for, Nev- for Nevada. And then you had that like, tinted orange yellow for California and they just never established anything separating the two like you could have had this great like these actions the foreground actions happen in Nevada uh where everything's like kind of like cold and to the point whereas in California things are a little bit more uh not ambient what's what's the word for like not not even sunnier but like like uh yeah, more fake like, boobs. Uh, yes, uh, like tinted and almost like kind of behind a, a, the sun glare, um, and then in the underground where it's just you know sex dungeon with wolves. Uh, but they <laughs> they never went there, and like you could have established these hilariously different tones, and it just wasn't apparent. Um, and then one last little thing. Uh, I actually kind of liked the the daybreak at the end. They never talked about it, but it was this one horrendous night. And then you see the, the sun crack above the, the tree line. And then that's when our main characters exit the burning down building. And I actually did like that from the outset, we weren't given too much information about everything. Like, I think there is a, there is a degree of over-explaining um, that happens uh, specifically in Netflix shows, it's almost like they got to do 13 episodes and they only have eight written. So let's do filler for three or five. I don't, that's not my strong suit. Um, so I did like that there was no real epilogue and they left some of the people's backstories. But like, I don't know. It was a nice moment at the end, but it was kind of stupid in the middle. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's the big thing about this movie is that it started out with all the potential in the world. And then just started kind of stripping it away from itself as the movie went on. I was so, so into it. Like the first like quarter of this movie in my mind, I was like, is this, is this going to be my favorite movie of 2018 or like up there on that list? But then it just kind of, it fell flat so quickly, so quickly. And again, like it really did have all the potential, like all the, all the points you guys have been making about things they could have done all sound like perfectly, uh, good ways to bring more life into this film. Um, which is unfortunate because I don't know, like Abbott said, I would have wanted more out of Drew Goddard and I would have wanted more for all these awesome actors who were brought in here. All right. So we talked about a lot of characters. We talked about acting. We talked about the plot, so a lot of the movie style too. And a lot of things I'm going to be talking about here. Um, so we're going to move into our next segment. Uh, and then before we round it off, I'm going to toss it over to Mr. Mocha. What you got for me? Uh, yeah. So I want to really quickly just sort of kick off a new segment we're going to have here on the Down in Front podcast called Send a Sip. Uh, basically, we want to take a moment to sort of shout out the either people or events that are going on in our lives that are worth recognizing and uh, send a little sip of one of the beers that we're drinking our uh, our way, along with some good vibes. 
and uh, just be grateful for something for uh, once in our miserable lives. So I'll, I'll kick us off. Um, I want to send a quick sip out to the folks over at Not Another Gaming Podcast. Uh, that's Dom Mahoney, Papa Dom, Dr. Bob, and uh, tall and lanky Chris P. Uh, they had me on but the podcast stanky. last week as a guest. <laughs> you you and finished that. Blast. I know I didn't finish it, but uh, uh, whatever, it's all good. It's all lanky and his butthole stinky. They invited me onto their podcast as a guest. They've got an awesome show over there with a really cool uh, group of people who, or audience who follow along. And it was a blast after like listening to them for so long to actually get on there and talk about some general life stuff as well as video games. Um, so it was a lot of fun. So shout out to them. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Um, and also, uh, I want to send a sip to the three torsos that are stacked on top of each other to make Chris Hemsworth. Uh, despite how badly this movie fell flat near the end, it was about uh, like half an hour of glory uh, that I just sat back and enjoyed. So uh, shout out to you, three torsos. Brylan, who you got your send a sip to? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to send a sip to this company that I helped kickstart called The Tubby, where I mentioned earlier I'm drinking out of a glass called the tubby it's a unique pint glass where it's much wider body than uh a regular pint glass this way it doesn't tip over but not only can it fit a whole 16 ounce beer in it but you can use it for other things i'm drinking some woodford reserve out of it but hey i might put my cereal in it or my i got some overnight oats soaking right now so I might put them in here to eat my breakfast in the morning. Uh, this was created by Sam Dingley, also mutual friend of some of ours, uh, Sage Saber. Great job on the new product, the Tubby Pint Glass. It was just kickstarted. It looks like they will continue to sell them, and I wish them the best of success. So, sip to y'all. Uh, Abbott, who you got for you, send us up. Uh, yeah, I uh, I had mentioned it briefly uh, on our anniversary episode over on Fear Boners, but I just want to send a sip out to, uh, well, you guys, uh, first of all, the Down in Front crew for uh, welcoming me and letting me have my own show and kind of uh, casting a spotlight on um, great horror movies and also some of the great guests we've had. I know Warren's joined us uh, for an episode. Um, we've had Maddox. We've had Chrissy. We've had Che. We've had Sean on a bunch of episodes. So I'm going to send a sip out to all you guys and thank you so much for helping me make Beer Boners a thing and uh, tickling, tickling the bone uh, on a regular basis. Tickling the bone. Uh, blew it. <laughs> Who do you got for you to send a sip? First of all, I'd like to send a sip to Jesse Rand for being my wolf. <laughs> uh, and. <laughs> <laughs> And then I'd like to get a special send a sip for uh, Mocha, actually, uh, for not talking about Chris Hemsworth's abs for the last hour and a half to two hours. Because we know you have it in you, buddy. But that sort of restraint was quite incredible. I nearly made it all the way up to your send a sip and then failed. <laughs> I tripped up right at the finish line. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Uh, I will uh, send a sip over to uh, Megan Arnold for visiting and kind of hanging out with us uh, this weekend. So thanks for that. Uh, she's awesome and uh, good stuff for you for finally actually watching The Last Jedi for the first time today and live tweet not live texting me her reaction. So <laughs> shout out to you. I'm glad that you she actually didn't like the movie at all. So we disagree about that, but whatever. Um so send a ship to you. And then the also um, I'm also going to send a ship to uh, Mocha for thanks for being a good host uh this weekend and for letting me crash with you up in the New York City. So thanks so much for that. 
Hey. So let's get into lasting thoughts. Brylin, lasting thoughts for the movie Good Time, Bad Times at the El Royale. Uh, yeah, so ultimately, I feel like this movie tries too hard to make the mundane interesting, and it takes way too much time to build up any suspense that ultimately leads to nothing. Uh, so, yeah, the more I think about this film, I am getting more and more angry. I definitely expected more from Drew Goddard and this cast that was put together, because it is an exceptional casting. It's just no one had really anything to work with. Abbott, what you got for me? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm still in the camp. I think it was one of the better movies uh, released this year. In my opinion, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, it does have its downfalls. Um, it wasn't fantastic. It's not an Oscar contender by any means. Um, but uh, I do concur with a lot of what you guys said. But if you do enjoy this movie or want to see something similar, I recommend movies like Free Fire. That was one that came out last year, a year or two ago, or any of Guy Ritchie's like early British mobster movies, Lock, Stock, Snatch, things like that. Um, and even especially if you haven't seen Drew Goddard's Cabin in the Woods, if you haven't already seen it, go, go watch that. Much better movie, much more enjoyable, especially for October. It's a good spooky, fun kind of poking poking fun at classic horror movies. So definitely check that one out. But um, yeah, if you have a chance and you have a theater nearby, check out um, Bad Times at the El Royale and have a bad time. How do you go-go watch something? Uh, you go more than once. You go twice. Oh. Yeah, oh, okay. go-go. Oh, okay. Thanks. Are you booting up Monster Hunter in the background right now? Maybe. <laughs> you monster. <laughs> <laughs> Moko, what you got for me? Yeah, you know... Uh, this film, I feel like, started with all the potential in the world. And while ultimately it didn't end as a bad movie, I couldn't categorize it at that. It was a big disappointment, especially uh, considering that it came out of the gate with so much intrigue and just threw it all to the, to the wayside partway through. Um, ultimately, I would say that if you're into sort of Tarantino-esque overlapping, uh, like, intrigue story like character dramas it's worth watching just definitely not in movie theaters don't spend your money to go see this wait till it shows up on a streaming platform and uh, enjoy it then unless you are just really desperately thirsty for some chris hemsworth hemsworth action which in that case i don't blame you and in that situation go see it as soon as you can but otherwise give it a wait blue what you got for me yeah so i thought this was kind of like in the vein of mother where it was just a director kind of putting a bunch of stuff together about certain things and just making a weird film about it. Uh, it worked a hell of a lot better than Mother, but still wasn't that good of a movie. Um, ultimately, just go see A Star is Born again. Or Infinity <laughs> War. Stay home. Go to Redbox. It's a dollar, two dollars, maybe. I don't know. I've never done that. How much can a banana cost? Um, and so Black Panthers and like, on Netflix. If you're paying two dollars for a banana, then you should just move from wherever no, you're buying a, your bananas. It's an arrested development th- uh, line. Uh, Lucille gives uh, the guys a ten bucks, and she's like, "Go buy a banana." And they're like, "What's this?" It's like, "How much?" <laughs> go watch a Star War. Yeah, but seriously, go watch <laughs> Infinity War again. Go watch a Star is Born. Born. Uh, like, save your money on this movie. It's not a like Star is War. <laughs> <The> Star is <laughs> War. <laughs> That sounds like a great movie. 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to echo out a lot of things. I just felt like the movie fell flat, a bit boring. Um, I felt like the movie, um, I'm curious to hear a, a bit about the production of what happened in the background because it felt like it got to a certain point and then they sort of abandoned what they were trying to do and said, hey, we need to wrap this movie up. And so that's exactly what it kind of felt like. Um, if there's movies out for right now, definitely go check out First Man because that's probably is going to be the better movie in theaters right now. So definitely go check that out. And with that, we have been the Down in Front Podcast. Thanks so much, everybody, for hanging out. Thanks, everybody, for joining here. Uh, Brylin, where can people find more of your work? Uh, yeah, you can find this old heart of mine on Twitter at Brylin, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I am Brylin. I'll post many movie and TV reviews from time to time on there. And I'm also the host of the Gamescast, twitch.tv slash Down in Front Podcast. I'm playing through Spider-Man on the PS4 right now, but maybe tonight Warren will uh, grace you with some uh, Monster Hunter. Hey, don't be shy. Get it streaming. Nah, I gotta get up at five. I gotta get up at five o'clock. I'm not gonna do that. No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Then call me, please. Help me. Call me. I'm I'm tired. (laughs) Abbott, the beautiful abs man. Where can people find more of your work? Yeah, we actually just uh, celebrated our one-year anniversary over on Fear Boners. You can check out that episode we released uh, last week. Um, we got two more episodes in the pipeline we're hoping to uh, poop out before the end of October. Super excited about that. But you can um, follow and uh, like, subscribe, whatever the hell you do over on Twitter at uh, Fear Boners D-I-F-P. Uh, just to make sure you know when new Fear Boners episodes are coming out. Uh, or you can also email me directly at fearbonersdifp at gmail.com and ask me all sorts of sexy wolf questions. Sexy wolf questions. Mocha, where can people find more of your work? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, smacking holy men upside the head with bottles at MochaMikeLI, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me at MochaMike. The person who owns that username uh, was buried underneath the floorboards in an abandoned hotel, and no one knows where that is now, so I can't get access to it. Uh, So until then... Mocha Mike Li. You can also find me on Instagram at Mocha Mike, where I post a lot of my photography work, and on Medium at Mocha Mike, where I write some longer form reviews of the things we talk about here. And always a pleasure, uh, Mister Blewett. What do you got for me? Hey, all. Uh, you know the drill about my news. Uh, you can drill my news. Drill what? <laughs> Uh, find us at uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram and text message. Um, so if you really want to, you, you got to go with uh, Jesse Rand walks through the, the grass shirtless uh, with his tweaky nipples uh, at ymail.com. Again, that is Jesse Rand walks through the, the tall grass with his tweaky nipples uh, at ymail.com. Uh, reach out to hey, us. Hey, Jesse's today. got a body now. I think of all of us, he's the one who could pull that off the most. Oh, dude, he has got at least two abdominal muscles that come through. Which is, I think, more than all of us. He's got two oh, abs. Yeah. Shout out to Jesse's two abs. <laughs> <laughs> they don't call him a good old Jesse two abs for nothing. Jesse, Jesse two abs ran. I'm definitely calling the, him this tomorrow at work. He's going to smile, nod, and walk away. Just not <laughs> yeah. even a question. Like, just this. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. And then just, like, uh, Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> uh... Check out more from work down in front pocket.
Facebook.com. Uh, check out on Twitter, uh, underscore DAFP. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash downinfrontpodcast. If you like what we do, you want to see bonus episodes, more episodes, early episodes, content, and even more kind of failed artwork, uh, check out more, um, become a patron, patreon.com slash downinfrontpodcast. Thanks so much, everybody, for kind of hanging out with us. Stay tuned for our next review of Halloween. Super excited <laughs> of that movie. See uh, Jamie Lee Curtis back on the big screen. So I'm excited to check that out in Dolby this week with uh, the Mocha Mike. So yeah. super pumped about that. Uh, thanks everybody so much and have a great evening.